Riverside. Good morning, Mr. White. Good morning, Mrs. Angel. How are you today? Oh, my goodness. I couldn't be better. I'm living the dream, as I always am, uh, because we have Dr. Shanti Clements with us. Uh, Welcome, um, Dr. Shanti. Hello. How are you going? We are fabulous, and we can't wait to get into your story. So we're going to get cracking straight away. So Dr. Shanti Clements, um, she went to primary school at Ashcroft Public School, Hoxton Park Public School, Our Lady of Mount Carmel School, Griffith East Public School, Mount Pritchard Public School and Ranwick Public School. She went to every public school basically (laughs) um, to do her primary education. And then for her secondary school, uh, she went to Sydney Girls High School, which is a selective girls high school in Sydney. That set her up for the most amazing tertiary experience. So as I said, she is a doctor. She has her Doctor of Philosophy in Educational Leadership at, from University of Sydney. She has a um, an Executive MBA Essentials Certificate from London School of Economics. She has a Master's of Education from in Management and Leadership in University of Sydney. She was awarded the position of Honorary Associate at the University of Sydney. She has a Diploma of Education in Primary School in Sydney University. And she kicked it all off um, at the University of Technology her Bachelor of Communications in Journalism and she also has a huge range of coaching qualifications as a coach facilitator, Courageous Conversations, that's one of my personal favourites, accredited coach for solutions focused coaching. She is an accredited facilitator with Stephen Covey's The Leader in Me program. She's a team leadership for whole school improvement. She has coaching qualifications in Great Teams, Great Results, um, which is also another Stephen Covey and she is a facilitator of Principles Preparation Program. And that's all we've got time for. Goodness. So thank you, Shanti, thank you. so much Thanks for, for joining in. us. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Just kidding. We're going to hear a little bit more about your bio. Um, because There is. There has been an amazing, amazing educational leadership story behind um, everything that Shanti has done. Talk yes. to us about it, Whitey. Shanti's ethos is, and I love this, grow great human beings every day. Career highlights include facilitating leadership programs, developing leadership and talent development pathways and accreditation for aspiring teachers, principals and senior executives across the UAE, Egypt, Saudi Arabia and New South Wales. Her professional experiences include Principal of Beauty Point Public School and Seven Hills West Public School, Principal, School Leadership, Principal Coach Mentor and A Director of Leadership and Teaching Quality in the New South Wales Department of Education and Head of Leadership at the Talal Institute. Lecturer at the University of Sydney and Liverpool, Hope University. Her PhD research in educational leadership was published in 2021 and is entitled Leader, Identity, Expertise Development and Influence, Exploring Principal Leadership in New South Wales Public Schools. Awards include a finalist at the National Excellence in Teaching Award in 2006 and Australian Schools Plus Commonwealth Bank Teaching Award recipient and inaugural Leadership Fellow in 2017. Unbelievable, that is. Excited, people. Dr. Shani Clements is here. (laughs) Oh, there's so much there. There's so much. It's very, very, very. To do do life. Delighted, delighted to have you yeah, with us. Wonderful, wonderful. So, thanks, Sharon. Thanks, Whitey. 
<laughs> Shandi is one of the smartest people that I know, and we're so glad that she chose education. So let's kick it off with their, our, our favorite question, which is, who is the teacher that has most greatly impacted your life? It has to be my year four teacher, Miss Crosby. She was at Mount Pritchard Public School, taught me in 1980, Mm -hmm. and I was in a year four class. We had 64 students in the class. So it was like this real pioneering 1970s, open planned, and to have 64 kids in the class was amazing. Two teachers, Mm -hmm. and it's still my favorite class if I think about it, but she was beautiful. She was warm. Think of the Partridge family. (laughs) Think of, you know... um, the colours of the Brady Bunch household, you know, orange, yellow, green, and think of mini skirts. That's Miss Crosby. And I used to just love her, you know, just watch how, you know, you'd go on excursions. She she was just so cool and just warm and beautiful. So, and, you know, amazing she was. Years years ago, I actually tried to find her. Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't find her because she got married. She was single at the time, but but she was amazing. I wanted to ring and say thank you to her for being such an amazing teacher. That is fabulous. And that's what we're all about here. Mm. We want to name and fame those amazing teachers so they know that you're still thinking about her um, this you know, this far into the future and the impact that she had on you. And with 64 kids in a class wow. and making you feel seen and loved and, and yeah. noticed, that's no small feat. Yeah, and, and what was really amazing about her, which I didn't discover at the time, because one, she was just so cool. She was just glamorous and cool. Um, but she was actually um, half Indian and half English. And because, you know, I was, um, you know, mixed myself, she was the first teacher I ever had that came from a multicultural background. And to see this amazing woman, she unconsciously you know really she was like this role model but also just someone that I could aspire to as a woman not just as a future educator so yeah yeah, just amazing and all of that just you're in grade four so you know those those really important formative years where you're you're noticing those kind of um that stuff yeah and uh you know to think of someone who was very warm and compassionate you know for every person in that class of 64 students who felt that they had a personal relationship with this teacher where they they felt that she cared. Yeah. And, you know, it goes beyond all that John Hattie, you know, research. You actually felt that you mattered to her. Yeah. And well, that's. Rita, Rita Pearson, your kids don't learn from people that um, kids don't learn from people they don't like. And yeah. if you feel that connection to the teacher, then you you're picking up everything they're putting down, and you're you're not just learning the content, you're learning the you know how she carries herself and what is it that I'm I why why am I so drawn to this woman and why why is she so cool and all yeah. of those things. And as and she was a team teacher too because you know I can just remember the two of them. Um, taking the lessons and the humor between the two of them and it was great to see camaraderie between teachers and how they shared that load um I really wish that today's students actually had the opportunity to have a class of 64 (laughs) two teachers sharing that load every day it was extraordinary it was an amazing experiment yeah well John John Hattie said that Class size doesn't matter, but I, yeah. I feel like I'm having things thrown at me right now by um, <laughs> all the teachers in this. Yes, yeah, don't yeah, say no. that. <laughs> Shut up, Angel. That's um, 
but there you go. It worked in that particular for that particular class in that particular situation. That's mm. um, and it was obviously a real a pivotal moment in in your education. Yeah. But you um, you are a child of educators as well, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, so my father was a teacher, and um, my mother is actually a nurse. But it's interesting. I didn't want to be a teacher growing up. Like you couldn't have thought of anything worse. <laughs> so I started off, I wanted to go into into journalism. I actually became a journalist. I was a radio journalist for a while mm-hmm. and I also worked in advertising. But then I did some personal development courses and had an epiphany and that was that you can actually make a difference in people and young people's lives and a positive difference. And that's that's why I made the shift from journalism into teaching. Because I found that, you know, journalism, you're on the news and everything, but it's all negative, whereas positive, you know, you can shape lives and you can actually make a difference to young people. And and so I I ended up making the shift to teaching. Yeah, that's interesting. I've I've got – my my mum's a teacher and I've got a family – come from a family of teachers as well. Um, And I knew I was always going to do arts, so I just did arts and sort of got into education that way. But I still – so how old do you reckon you were when you made that, that decision or that epiphany happened? Because I'm really interested at where, at where people realise something in life and then make drastic decisions. Uh, I would have been 22. 22. So I I, yeah, so I, I finished high school at 17 mm-hmm. and then I did what every every good girl does, follow their, their parents' advice, and I did, a first, uh, did my first year of business. I uh, did UTS at University of Technology. Right. And then I did what every bad girl did. <laughs> does. Tell us more, Shanti. Tell us more. Well, that's that's actually pretending to go to university for the first ah. semester. Yep. And uh, But I actually had made the decision to defer. So I was pretending to go to, go, go to business. And um, What were you doing in that time then? Yeah, well... <laughs> I was very, very lucky because um, I didn't really enjoy business and I was doing the the end of semester assessment with the economics lecturer and I did the entire two hours and 15 minutes. And he said, how is it that you finished this? And I said, well, I'm just using my psychic ability. (laughs) It feels like an A, a B, a C, blah, 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 blah. And he went, what can I do to make sure you never return to this course again? (laughs) And I said, well, he said, I'd really, I'd really love to do communications. He said, okay, I'll I'll make that you. happen for you. That's right, right, as long as you never return. And he kept his promise. That's <laughs> awesome. And you kept your promise too, Dr. Shanti Clements. Like, so it's all about finding your passion, finding your niche, and yeah. everything can't be everybody's niche. Like there's got to, you've, you've got to find your thing, don't you? Yeah, mm. it is. That's the case. Although some of the skills that I use now as a principal I'm using the business, I'm using the journalism, I'm using all of the teaching skills, but I have to say I'm so lucky. I made the right decision. I've been in education now for 30 years, no regrets whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. And doing amazing things in education um, across the world, actually. So Shani's not just having um, an impact here in Australia. She's doing amazing work with people um, in many other countries as well, which I want to get to. But before we get to that, I want to hear a bit about, so your, your dad was a teacher, but your grandma was also a teacher that um, was doing some pretty life-changing things during the World War. Tell yeah. us about that. 
So my grandma, Alice, was an extraordinary woman. And she she motivated my father in, in education to become a teacher. And so during uh, World War II, when the Japanese invaded Singapore, education, the education system got shut down for about five years. So you weren't allowed to teach. Um, you weren't allowed to go to school. But my, my grandmother illegally kept teaching to ensure that the children still could learn how to read and write. And... She was such an inspiration. This my grandmother had ten children, and they had an amazing home that actually was actually taken over by the Japanese army. But they ended up being in this tiny place where they had ten kids, one room. You know, you had all the rationing, but she kept going, and she taught every single one of her children resilience, um, the ability to have tenacity. And every single one of them not only um, graduated from university, they all went and did postgraduate studies in the UK as well. So my dad ended up going from, um, you know, having five years of education shut off. He ended up going to university in Singapore or the college at the time and then went off and did Cambridge um, as his postgraduate degree um, before coming out to Australia. But the the importance of education, the the culture, the richness of literacy was always in the home life. And I and she not only inspired her own family, but the whole community during a really tough period in Singapore history. That is so cool. Yeah. That yeah. is very, very, very um inspirational. And no one that's a that, woman. Like we're yeah. talking nineteen forty one to nineteen forty six, you know, that period of time. Mm. I can't believe it. She's yeah. incredible. Yeah, and it makes sense then that your dad chose education and uh, had, and had a profound impact on his community as well, which then yeah. I'm sure has then had an impact on you in the end choosing education after you know going going a you know a roundabout pathway, but finding your your real yeah. passion then. Yeah, and and it was a little bit hard for him to also get that because like he came to Australia in um, the end of the 1960s. And when he first came out, his Singapore teaching degree wasn't accepted straight away. So this is a little bit of a, well, it's a bit of a tearjerker for me, this story, because it does make me get a little bit teary. So when he first came out, he um, was actually given the position of cleaner at Hoxton Park High School. And a year later, his, his, um, his postgraduate degree from Cambridge was accepted and he was appointed as the English history teacher at the same school. That's awesome. So for a guy who's 43, who's had a very successful life overseas, came in, cleaner, following year, teacher at that's, the same school. That's crazy. I know. So I know. humbling, that's so amazing. humbling, and then, um, but then doing the work because you've got to put food on the table for your family. Yeah, and-, and, and it taught me so much. And It's why I'm at a school right now where there's a lot of refugees there's a lot of social disadvantage because it taught me the importance of education, not only in the survival of the human spirit, but also to have, you know, family who've gone through the war years and became successful and could um, get out of poverty and get out of political and social upheaval due to education. You can move countries because of, you know, the status of your educational qualifications taught me so much. And mm-hmm. so the commitment of equity, the, 
the commitment of ensuring that there's multiculturalism, diversity, inclusion, all of those values, you don't realise that you're learning all of that as a child. But it's certainly something that I've got from my father, especially when you think one day you're a cleaner, the next day you're the teacher of the high school. And that's um, often people talk about just in leadership um, Mm -hmm. that sometimes it's hard to step up from within as a teacher to a, a head of department. But they're thinking about stepping up in the same profession from a teacher to a head of department. Talk about reestablishing yourself with the students yes. from a cleaner to a teacher. That's that's a yeah. whole new level of reinventing yourself. Yeah. And, and 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 I sort of sort of think about my father helped set up the um, the Singapore Professional Teachers Association when it first was established in the nineteen sixties. So to have someone who had a reputation over there, but. This is what happens when you move countries. It is. Sometimes your educational qualifications don't translate with you. Yeah. But it taught me so much. And the compassion, the humbleness that he had, it actually showed me how to be a better human being Mm. because it's not only about just pushing people through. It's about understanding where everybody comes from. You know, so many of the children at at my school and, and their parents, you know, they're probably having very similar experiences. So... It's about understanding, empathy, and compassion. Yep. Love it. That's absolutely beautiful. Um, I was just thinking when you were talking about your grandma and mm-hmm. um, educating the children and kind of having that gap for five years, it's a long, probably a, a long bow to draw, but um, COVID, lots of people are so concerned that this the COVID gap is um, is going to be so significant and those kids are never going to bounce back from that and it's yes. – and, but it, it, it is possible to bounce back from that Absolutely. and can't and give up hope. That's right. And, you know, if we look at human history, we've done this many times before. Yeah. We've done yeah. it through the Spanish War. We've done it through World War One, World War Two. And when we think about the psychological fallout of COVID, you know, all of these things are also happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be, for me, my experience with um, my family in education and going through the war years has taught me that you need to be agile. You need to be able to go, you need to manage change and complexity and uncertainty. And I think we've we've just thought that that's just a recent occurrence, but it's not really. No. Um, No. So many generations have gone through this. And if we can keep on and have the resilience of our previous generations of educators as well as family, yep. then education's in a really great place moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. That's totally reshaping the conversation on on education right now and, and the gap and the impact. So tell us, um, as, as the COVID crisis was rolling out, mm. you were chipping away at your PhD. So tell us all about your PhD. So I look. I probably have the Guinness Book of Records for the longest running PhD. <laughs> Actually, the, the, her PhD went through the World War One, World War Two, <laughs> and also COVID. Just kidding. That's not the case at all. I know it feels like it. <laughs> so it's um it's interesting. I was doing my PhD as I also took on a um, principalship of my second school during COVID. So um, my my PhD is called Leader Identity, Expertise, Development and Influence. And I explored the, you know, principal leadership in New South Wales public schools. And I had six six, um, research participants who were principals in in New South Wales. And it really taught me a lot. Uh, It taught me about the importance of identity development, 
expertise development and career span approaches. And, you know, often when you're looking at education systems, and certainly when I was working overseas in the Middle East, the commonality between the UK systems, the American systems, Middle Eastern, African, Indian, is that we all have standards and all high-performing systems have them. But complying with standards and knowing the theory doesn't necessarily mean that you set up people to succeed. Mm -hmm. And so when we were training, you know, part of the work I was doing was training teachers as well as principals and aspiring aspiring leaders. Your identity and your self-concept as an educator is crucial to the success that you're going to have career span. And you know, so tell, what do you mean by that? So your identity, like, so why you chose to be to come into education, why or what you stand for, or what do you mean by that? So your identity is your sense of who you are. Yeah, and that can be related to um, your moral purpose. It can be related to your vision for what you want to achieve. It can also be related to your your sense of competency and your expertise and what you do. And the, I guess if you if you think about it, it's your mindset. It's your mindset of how you're going to achieve things. And it's also, it, it helps to bridge the gap between what you do in your optimal state as well as in your typical state. So in our typical state, we may be doing this, blah, 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 in a very busy day. Optimally, we can do this against particular standards. And so when we look at leader identity, we're looking at the inner leader. We're looking at our emotions, our social intelligence, our ability to have deeper self-awareness, the ability to um, learn, to be agile and manage change and complexity. So it's really about how a leader can move from seeing the world as VUCA, which is that, you know, that military term of, you know, volatile, uncertain, challenging and, you know, to VUCA prime, which is taking um, volatility and moving it into vision taking uncertainty and moving it into understanding, um, taking challenge and moving it into, you know, clarity, things like that. So the skill set and the ability to to learn how you learn, to cope with challenge, complexity, uncertainty, but also to understand how, how you operate at the best of times and the worst of times. Mm-hmm. And I think readiness is a huge part of that because you can always, you can read a lot of theory, but applying it is very different. And it's a bit like, you know, sorry, <laughs> Whitey, you've never had a baby in your, like you've not, you've never gestated nine months through. Right? Right. But no, you, he has. Yes, it would have been weird if you said actually. Three times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, you had, you've, you've observed it, but to have it, you know, do you mm. know what I mean? You can yeah. read the book, how mm. to expect, you know, right. you know, you know, go through the nine month journey. And that's the theory. But applying it and living it and embedding it and embodying it are such different mm. things. And um, one thing we found that with emotional and social intelligence, we, we say that those interpersonal and the intrapersonal skills are so important, and they are. But what keeps you up at night is yourself. Mm. What keeps you up at night is that inner, inner anxiety, the stress, the repeating of the day, feeling like you didn't manage a, a conversation as well as you could have. It's the stuff that keeps us up at night that links into our self-concept of whether we feel good about ourselves or whether we have a very strong inner critic. And so a lot of the work that, um, you know, this is actually bringing, bridging together Eastern and Western methodologies, but from the Eastern side of things, 
your development as a person is lifespan. You're going to, if you're alive, you're still learning. Whereas if we look at um, careers in terms of leadership, you know, we're on a novice, we're on a principal preparation program and we think we've got it. But when people step in the role, that's when the journey begins. Yes. So it's really, it's about yeah. balancing that, the inner yeah. and the outer leader. Yeah, I love it. So it's it's getting people ready for the job prior to 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 doing the job, but it's also whilst you're doing the job, being okay with not knowing everything about it because you don't you're never going to know everything about it, and you've got to learn. There is some component of learning on the job and being okay with your growth and you need and some readiness. You yeah. need to feel that you can cope with challenge. Yeah, you need to know that you've got the mindsets and the capabilities, all that potential. And I know that, like, for example, when, when I was in the Middle East, we were using virtual reality, reality technologies and we would, do, um, we would create avatar classes so you could have those difficult conversations or even the behaviour management, the, the, the nightmare behaviour management classroom and practice those really difficult um, emotional and social interactions so that when you then went out in the real classroom or the, or the real school, you already knew how to succeed. Mm, that's great. Love it. Definitely need a bit more of that brought into our university um, university preparation. That's right. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. Or, or at yeah. any level. I love, I love this conversation because it, it applies to everything. It's not just education. I mean, everything you're saying is yeah. is applicable to any endeavour. Absolutely at all. And yeah. which leads me to what your ethos is, that grow great human beings every day. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Because it strikes me as brilliant and I, I really like it and I can see some things in it, but I want to see what you see in it. So for me, growing great human beings every day is my way of trying to bring together Eastern and Western approaches to why we exist on the planet. And underneath my principal side of things, there's probably a little bit of a hippie. <laughs> and um, Miss Crosby. I don't want to go to work to achieve status quo or to or to be very good at up and managing I know I have to achieve things and I and I have targets and I've got system improvement measures that I have to meet but there's culture there's also there's people and when we think of humanness it's about human potential no one wants to go to a job where they don't feel appreciated or valued and that includes, especially includes teachers, because our role is to help empower the next generation of children. And if we want to keep being motivated and inspired, we also have to keep motivating and inspiring. Inspiring, oh. yes. So that means that to grow great human beings, it has to be a mutual, a mutual growth for our teachers, um, our SAS staff, as well as our children and our community. And that has to come back down to the, our cognitive, our emotional, our social and our spiritual growth together. And for me, it is so important that the spiritual intelligence and the spiritual component comes into what we do, our moral purpose, and creating a culture where everybody feels that they can thrive together. And that means student agency, student voice, teachers balancing that locus of control and helping children to actually have a strong co-facilitation uh, advocacy role in their teach in the learning, the design, the assessment, the reporting processes. So, to me, it's all about balancing all of that together. 
Great. I, I, I love the, in particular, the last two words as well, the every day. Just the, the responsibility that that puts on yeah. you and the, the, um, you know, the urgency of it, the fact that it's always, it should always be the goal, it should always be there. Yeah, because there's nothing worse. And I, th- I think when we came back from COVID, I don't know if you found this in your schools, but morale was really low mm. when we came back. And even doing simple things like, you know, doing your program at the start of the term every year became really challenging. And it was like, it was almost like before we came back, our system probably needed an, an induction to bring everybody together, you know, a, a huge um, culture building process mm-hmm. first before we did. And that I think that would have been great. But to grow great human beings every day means that you have to take responsibility for your mindset. If I'm turning up to work every day with a negative attitude, I'm not yeah. growing yeah. and neither will the children. The so children will not grow if you're not, if yeah. you're not there. If you don't want to be there, yeah. the children will know that you, they're so, in, they're such intelligent little, little beings. They know that you don't want to be there. <laughs> and it also means that children as well as parents and all members of the school community have to be respectful and value our teachers because it's not one way. It can't be just take, take, take. We need to give back as well. So it's about making sure, I guess, what is it? What is it? It's a bit like the oxygen on the plane. We all need enough oxygen. And, you know, like the well-being of my staff is absolutely important. Every staff meeting, we start off with well-being. And, uh, you know, could be, you know, what colour are we today? You know, and share that colour. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just important that we are able to know who we are first and bring that into what we do each day. I love that. I think mm. I think that that conversation about the constant conversation about what we're, why the work that we're doing is so important. So why did you choose to be a teacher? Like that is an ongoing conversation that needs to be happening because I think that fuels the fire because we all, we did choose this. We didn't fall into this profession. I I strongly believe that, you know, 90, 95% of teachers absolutely chose teaching because of that strong moral purpose to do this amazing work that changes lives. And then the reality sometimes chips away at you as you go along and it, it sometimes it gets it's tough it's a, it, it it's yep. awe inspiring but it's also really really hard work so I mm. loved what you were talking about before about the best of times like what what I what kind of leader are you mm. when all of the the conditions are perfect and uh, you know you've just come back from a holiday and we've just got one extra day of um of holidays than Mr White and right now you know I couldn't be I am ready I am like just let me at it I am so excited about this term so the best of best of times are about to happen but then you know that your midterm mid-year the the weather changes everything you know it gets tough and so what kind of teacher can you be then and what kind of leader can you be then and what what do you need to keep on um fueling your fire during those those difficult times so that you know how important you are to to the world and the, the kids in your classroom every day yeah, and, I, you know, that's why the, the the recently I've been doing a pilot with the New South Wales Primary Principals Association around profe- uh, professional reflective supervision, which, mm-hmm. by the way, I think is groundbreaking and will totally shift um, the field of education. But what it's taught me is that every job has stress. Every job has anxiety. But if we identify with the narrative this job does this to me, then what we do is we take our our own choice and our own agency in that. And so we can 
all of us can get through any stress and any challenge if we accept that it's our mindset and our ability to cope with stress and challenge that's the issue. Mm. It's, ne- it's never the job. Yep. No. So you look at doctors, you look at nurses, I mean, you look at doctors, you know, some people in emergency, they're dealing with people who die every day. But they've got a different they've got a different purpose and they revision what they're doing. So, you know, that's what I've learned from professional supervision. I think for teachers, if we can take ownership and 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 be given many different ways of how we can cope with challenge and, and complexity, I think that's the way forward. And I know the focus is often on curriculum reform. It's often on the on the system, um, politics, and the and the compliance aspects. But if you know, I'm bringing it back to leader identity and teacher identity. If we know who we are, why we do what we do, we can do anything. Yeah, I, I totally agree. We can we can learn the curriculum stuff, and yeah. um, I feel like an 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 addition to that, which has been my big learnership leadership learning, has been that. You know, I didn't want to step into a leadership role until I knew everything, and then I realized, holy, holy dooly, I'm I'm never going to know everything. This is go- this is uh, so I will never be able to step into a leadership position. Then I looked around me and I was like, I don't think they know everything either. So coming to that realization that you can step into a leadership position as long mm-hmm. as you realize it's okay to not know everything, but have that willingness to keep on learning and keep on growing. I agree. And, yeah. I agree, Sharon, because. Um... You know, like they always, there's that saying, if only I knew everything like I did when I was 21. (laughs) My leadership for the first 10 years when I was a principal um, pre-COVID is so different to leadership post-COVID. And it was so hard. But the things that I've learned post-COVID are extraordinary. I've learned how to build culture much better. I've learned how to handle stress. I've learned how to be resilient in different ways. And maybe I'm I'm a little bit of a pragmatic optimist, but um, it's taught me, taught me things that I never would have imagined. So all of this is a gift, Mm. a hard gift. Yes. (laughs) Hard gift, but it's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I think we yeah, I think we will we're going to bounce bounce back stronger. I think we already are bouncing back stronger and I think there's a, a bit of a a shifting view that there's been so much learning from yeah uh, that covid has given us for yes. yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean I never would have thought I'd say thank you covid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you covid. Yeah. Yeah. No, we can be better because of it, um, and we made it through it. And then, you know, and 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 I think we need to probably acknowledge that some people didn't make it through it. Yeah. So there's been a, a significant loss through COVID as well. Um, but for for those of us who have made it through, it can, we can rebuild, had. and we can, yeah. yeah, we can we can rebuild stronger and and be a better world because of it. Most yeah. definitely. What a fantastic conversation. We're going to totally shift gears here, Shanti, and bring it down a notch because (laughs) I want to challenge you to play the alphabet game Mm -hmm. against Mr. Will White. Are you willing to participate in this significant event? I would love to. Wonderful. I love games. Strap yourself in, my friend. Strap yourself in. Play a three game. That's that's Whitey's three-year-old saying the alphabet Ooh. game. 
He's there pretty he cute. He also says Diplodocus, the cutest out of any kid in this entire world. I challenge anybody to, to send me or some audio of a cuter kid saying Diplodocus. Challenge. All right. There's a challenge for everyone. There is. There now, is. I how this for, works. Can you, can right, you run so us through the rules again, the, please? The alphabet game. The alphabet game is when I'm going to get you to name something and then I'm going to give you a letter that uh, the something has to start with. For example, name a chocolate starting with C and you would yell out Cadbury. Excellent. And then Shanti would be one up. But unfortunately, Shanti, you're not going to get a point for that unless we need a point <laughs> later on and then we're going to give well, you a point for hang that. Hang on a second. No, no, no. Hey, no. hey, 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 hey. No complaints. Oh. Complaints in writing to uh, oh. to the host okay. whose name starts with S. All right. Here we go. Are we ready? Yes. First question. Name something talked about at a staff meeting starting with L. Losers? What did you say? He said losers. I'm not accepting that because nobody would talk about losers. Oh, Oh, this is – I was going to say legions, but that's that's (laughs) to – Lesions. Yes. Okay. No, no, I'm going to accept that actually, what? Shanti, because sometimes we've got to talk about um, the smallpox and we've got to talk about the chickenpox oh. lesions. Yes. We've got to talk about. Um, we, just, I, we actually just had a breakout of mm-hmm. um, hand mouth. Um, yeah, hand foot oh. mouth. Yeah. Lesions. Exactly. Oh, I, just about just, <laughs> I don't. <sighs> yep. I'm All starting right. to think that the odds are stacked against me here. No, never. So. Ting. That was a ting. That's a ting for Shanti. Well, well done, done Shanti. Shanti. Um, you're off on a roll. All right, here we go. Best of three, yeah? Something. Uh, it's a best of three, by the way. So if you get this best one, Shanti, three. you just win. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, name something a teacher does on their holiday starting with W. Well-being. What? <gasps> oh, <laughs> Expand on that, Shanti. I'm sorry. The crowd is really sorry. The crowd is really excited. Guys, I'm sorry. Just come on, come on. Write down. Well, sit down at the back. Wine, wine, wine. Yeah, I knew we'd get back to wine somehow. Well done, Shanti. Well done. Well, there you go, Mr. White. Because I feel so sorry. No, no, Don't ever feel sorry for Mr. White. It's okay. Tip of the hat, um, you did very well. <laughs> he did well, and we can't we can't break that um, that record that he has been able to keep now for this is our fourth <laughs> season, Shanti. He's four seasons. He hasn't got a win yet. No way. It's really good yes. for my well being. But the word so, is yet. Um, the word is yet. I have a growth mindset. <laughs> right. I will get there. <laughs> yes. He'll get there. Mm. He'll get there one day. Um, I love your optimism, Mr. White. All right. Um, so, Shanti, we have absolutely loved being able to talk to you. Can you tell us, so if people would like to know more about um, the leadership frameworks that you're talking about, um, how could they access that? So what I can do, um, Sharon and Will, is give you a link to my mm-hmm. PhD mm-hmm. and that will um, give people the opportunity to read it. Um, but there's also really great stuff that's happening out there in the, in the space of uh, leadership and well-being. For example, um, there's a new field called professional supervision and educational leadership, which is really um, giving an opportunity 
for teachers and leaders, educational leaders, to go through something that is more expansive than coaching and mentoring. And the focus is on proactive well-being, optimal leadership, optimal teaching practice, but also deep uh, reflection around professional practice. And, you know, that's something that I'm really thinking is a really amazing shift for our profession. Most of the time we have teachers and school leaders who are going through a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and, you know, they fall apart and we pick up the pieces at the end. But there is a new field that is emerging that is designed to proactively support educators. Mm, and so, any, yeah, I just think that's something that will be wonderful for teachers and leaders to explore as well. Absolutely. And then and because of that, students will thrive when yeah. um, when their teachers and leaders are, are thriving as yes. well. Because you're you you've got the oxygen. You've got the yep. oxygen on the plane. You're not deficit. You're yep. always going to be in that full um, motivated mode. Love it. Absolutely right. love it. Well, we are going to um, we're definitely going to send out that link for Shanti's uh, PhD, and then any other links that Shanti can provide for us, so that we can we can get people being able to access those great resources and mm. keep the oxygen flowing for them and their their teaching teams. Thank you for the opportunity, very guys. Oh, it's been Thank so you, wonderful it's to great. talk to you, Shanti. Yeah, um, it's always wonderful to see you, Mr. White, uh, and you, Mrs. Angel. Oh, stop it. Stop it. All right. Have a great <laughs> term. We're going to see everybody next week. Uh, thank you, Shanti. Thank Bye, you, Shanti. Thank Bye. you, everyone. Bye. Powered by Riverside. <laughs>